I want to welcome you to Grace Today. Today we're going to continue on with our series on the book of Acts. And today we're going to be in Acts chapter 17. I'm going to be reading verses, uh, starting with verse 16. But before I get started, I want to go ahead and give you a summary of verses 1 through 15 and what was going on at the time. Uh, this is still kind of early in Paul's missionary journey, and Silas is with him. And they're in Thessalonica, and they're preaching in a Jewish synagogue. Um, just like always, some people believed. Um, but then so the Jewish people started getting a little bit jealous of Paul's popularity and, and the uh, people that were starting to follow him. And so they, they caused a riot, um, caused some trouble, just like they always do. Um, one of his friends, Jason, that they were staying with actually got arrested. So uh, Paul and Silas, they had to get out of Dodge pretty quick. So then they go to Berea, and they preached, just like they always do. And they caused trouble, like they always do. Some people believed and followed them. And they made some Jews mad again, and they had to leave. So it's a recurring theme here. Preach the gospel, get some converts, make some people mad, then let's get out of here. But then Paul was sent to Athens, and that's where we're going to pick up today. The, mess, the title of today's message is Hocus Focus. Hocus Focus. It's Halloween this week. I'm not preaching on Halloween. I'm just playing on words here. But Hocus Focus. Um, funny story, I went to the eye doctor the other day. And, you know, it's usually not a big deal to go to the eye doctor, but it's something I don't like doing because eventually um, I'm not going to be able to see very well. I can't see very well now. Um, but I went in there, and the nurse is like, okay, Sam, sit down, you know, the routine, take out your contacts. And she's like, take out your contacts um, and wait for me to come back, and we'll go across the room. And she said, I'm going to bring your cane to you. Or would you prefer a walker? Well, she was jabbing at me because I have a pretty high prescription of, of contacts. And if I take my contacts out, I can't see, you know, this in front of me. It's blurry. I, I'm just, I'm almost blind. But, so yeah, I, I told her I wanted the cane. Uh, she didn't bring me one, though. But I managed to make my way across the hall to the other room to, to go to the eye doctor. But, yes, my eyes were worse, and I had to get new glasses. And here they are. How'd I look? Right? I think it's pretty stylish. See, Jeff might want to steal these later because he wears glasses just because he can, not because he needs them. But, so, these are not my new glasses, by the way. My eyes are the same. They're still bad, but not worse. So that's a good thing. But see, the reason I brought these out is because these funny glasses, you know, they kind of give you a distorted view. I better be careful up here, actually. They make things kind of blurry. I can't focus in. I can't even read with these up here. And see, sometimes we have that view of God. See, A.W. Tozer, he wrote that what we think and how we view God is the most important thing about us. It makes us who we are. And see, the people of Athens, they had a distorted look on God. And see, you may know people that have a distorted view of God, that they may not see the one true God. They may not see who God really is. See, contacts and glasses, they help us focus more clearly. They help us see things more detailed. Uh, funny glasses 
or not having glasses at all, we don't have a clear view. We have a distorted view. We can't focus on who God really is. And see, the people of Athens at this time had a very distorted view on who God was or who God is. And see, in Athens at this time, you know, even though it was 2,000 years ago, Athens was a very popular major city. Uh, it was on the Aegean Sea, so it was all the time being frequented by travelers and traders. So they would bring silk, gold, silver, and all that stuff, spices. So it was a very cultural, diverse town, diverse city. Lots of different people lived there. But it was a big port city. It was an important city for trade. It had a strong economy. They had art. They had architecture. They had athletes, because that's where the Olympics were, right? They had famous philosophers like Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle. And see, they were religious people. Maybe a little bit too religious. Maybe a little bit too religious. How can you be too religious? But see, they didn't know, even though they were religious, they didn't know and understand the one true God. That was close. So I'm going to start with verse 16. And again, Paul is in Athens. It says, while Paul was waiting for them because he went alone, he was deeply troubled by all the idols that he saw everywhere in the city. He was deeply troubled. So as Paul was walking along the city before he started preaching, you know, he's just walking around town, you know, taking in the sights and the scenery, being a tourist, I guess. He started noticing all of the faults or all the idols and gods and goddesses that man had created there in Athens. And see, he was troubled by it. The King James Version said that he was kind of, it was, he was troubled. It really got to him. He was provoked by it. He, it wasn't just anger. He was provoked. He had a deep stirring in his heart. He had a deep conviction for the people in Athens. He had a heart for them. So it just didn't make him mad. He really started hurting for the people in Athens because he understood that they were looking through glasses that were distorting the image of who God was. They didn't have a clue. One Athenian in the story said that it was more easily to find a God in Athens than a man, that it was easier to find a God in Athens than a man. There were actually over 30,000 different gods and goddesses in Athens. So, they were religious, maybe a little too religious, right? Sailors would come in all the time because it was a trade city, and these sailors would bring their idols because they were, they were so afraid of their boat sinking. They were afraid of sea monsters. So they would create these little idols and make sure that when they got in Athens, they, to, they to, took them to the Parthenon, or they put them somewhere in the city to offer up for protection. See, Athens was littered with idols, different gods and goddesses. You know, even though this happened 2,000 years ago, I kind of see the parallel here between Athens and America. Because everywhere you turn, everywhere you look, you can see idols. It may not be just a statue or, or a little Buddha put somewhere or something on a mantle, but there's idols everywhere here in America. We are littered 
with idols, just like the people of Athens. Paul was provoked. He was troubled. He was hurting for the people of Athens because he saw that they were in idol worship. Verses 17 and 18. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily with the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what is this babbler trying to say, these strange ideas that he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Saying some strange things, man. See, the synagogue is where Paul usually always started his ministry because that was his people, right? That's where the Jews were. That's where the Gentiles went. So he started there. But then he took his message to the marketplace or the public square. And see, this is where everybody was. This was the melting pot of Athens. Everyone was there. So this is like the Walmart and Cracker Barrel and people's houses and everything just poof, right there, right? Everyone was there. They, they got food there. They, they worshiped gods there. They, they just talked to each other. That's where they got together to have everyday activities. So everybody was there. So Paul at this time was definitely speaking to a mixed bag of nuts, right? So the Jews were there. There was foreigners. There were Democrats, Republicans, liberals, conservatives, pro-lifers, pro-choicers, they were Baptists, they were Methodists, they were Catholics. I could keep going on and on. All these different people were there. Not really. But you can see the parallel, right? Everyone was there. Different cultures, right? See, the Epicureans were there. The Stoics were there. See, the Epicureans at the time, they were a people, without getting too detailed, is they were all about living it up and having as much fun as you can and by having as much pleasure as you can. That was their main goal in life, that everyone should be happy and have as much fun as possible. And that's it. And some of us may know people that have that religion. The Stoics, on the other hand, they were the total opposite. They believed that God was in everything, but there was more than one. They, they believed in self-control. They believed that pleasure was not something that you could that you should partake of, so that really didn't seduce them. So they really didn't care about pleasure. Pain was not supposed to bother the Stoics. So think about Spock, right? Think Spock in Star Trek. That's, that's a Stoic, right, because he was emotionalist. But it says that some said, what is this babbler talking about? What is this babbler talking about? And see, this is not a good thing. This is not a nice word that they're calling Paul. What's this babbler trying to say? See, a babbler was someone who would just talk about things that they heard someone else said, and then they would talk about it without actually knowing what they were talking about. Do anybody know any babblers in here? So it was a, basically, think about a chicken, a chicken that, that's pecking and picking up food and spitting it back out without digesting it. That is what was a babbler to them. So that's what they were calling. Go ahead and play that video, Jeff. Let's batten you up, drumstick. <laughs> so that gives you an idea of what a babbler was in the time 
of Athens while Paul was there, right? So next time I hear someone talking to me about something and, and I'm kind of tuning out, that's all I'm going to see is the pecking chicken, right? So if you want to know what a babbler is, just think about a chicken. But that's what they're calling Paul. And that's, that's not a very good thing because, say, a babbler was also known as a second-rate person because, see, the people in Athens, they were all high and mighty, right? They were the best thinkers of their time, of their area. They were calling Paul a second-class person. What is this babbler trying to say? Say they really didn't understand him. He was saying all these things, but they didn't quite get it. Verse 21. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the best and greatest ideas. See, these philosophers, the people of Athens, see, they were a curious lot. They, were, they just sit around and thought things up. The philosophers were always on the lookout for a new god or a new idol or a new religion to put in the Parthenon, to put in their temple. So... Is this new faith, is it good enough? Is it strong enough? Is it intellectual enough for us to put it in the Parthenon? This new religion that this person is talking about, is it big enough? Is it good enough to go in our Parthenon? So it's kind of like an interview for Paul in Christianity. You think Paul's going to interview very well? Verses 22 and 23. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens... I noticed that you are very religious in every way. For I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. This one unknown God is the one I'm telling you about. Because, see, they actually did have a shrine that said to an unknown God. They had so many gods and goddesses and idols placed in that city that they knew that they were forgetting somebody. They knew they were forgetting something. So like, just in case we forget something, just in case we need something else, let's go ahead and make a, a shrine or an idol to the unknown god. I don't know who it is. Just in case, Right? So just in case something doesn't go our way, just in case we need something else, here is our shrine to our unknown God. See, this was the place that all the philosophers got together and just thought things up and discussed life and discussed religion, discussed politics. And just this morning, I went to the back of the sound booth there to talk to Jeff, and the great philosophers... Jephicus and Jacobus were debating whether time was real or if it was just made up by man. They got in a you know, big argument, big debate about it, and so I just left. But that's basically what they were doing. They basically just got together and were talking about stuff. And see, Paul's telling them, this one, this unknown God that you're talking about, this shrine, this idol that you made, this is the God I'm talking about. This is who I'm talking about. And see, I love how Paul uses a little sarcasm here because he says, men of Athens, I see you're religious. Maybe a little too religious, right? Because 30,000 different gods and goddesses and idols. But see, religious back then could have been a term that you could have been taken two different ways. The first way was a negative word. 
if you use the term religious in a negative way, it would mean that you're superstitious, which I think paints a pretty good picture of the people in Athens because if you've got that many gods and goddesses, if you have that many idols that you're trying to go to, you're pretty superstitious. And that would not have been a great comment to give to the people in Athens. But the word religious could also mean spiritual, which would be a compliment. Men of Athens, I see that you're very religious. So using a little sarcasm there. But see, the unknown God that they had was just in case God. Just in case the thousands of other gods were not working at the time. They weren't coming through. See, Paul saw the struggle that they had about getting a clearer picture about who God was. They didn't have a clue. They had a very distorted view on who God is, especially the unknown God. I'm going to ask you, what's your just-in-case God? See, they had theirs. And I think sometimes we can have that just-in-case God as well, that time of when you need something or things are not going the way they should be. What's your just-in-case God? Instead of turning to the one true God, what do you put in front of him that you try to fill that void? What idols do you go to in time of need? See, Paul was telling him, this is who I'm talking about. This unknown God that you're worshiping, I know him. You're fixing to know him. Verse 24 and 25. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and, it's, and he satisfies every need. See, Paul is telling them that God is the creator, and he is too big to be held in a temple. He is too big to be held in your hand. See, all these other gods, they needed something in order for them to receive something. But see, our God, he doesn't need anything. He is everything. He gives us everything. He doesn't need anything. Our God is bigger than all those. He cannot be contained in a building. He cannot be contained in a temple. Verses 26 through 28. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they would rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way around him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. He is not far from any one of us. See, Paul saying here that the real one true God is not a God that is just some deity that you go to when you need or want something. The greatest pursuit of life is for us to pursue him, for us to find him. He's telling the men of Athens, go find him. The real God is not something that you can put in a temple. See, the Greek gods and goddesses, they were always a means to something else. They were always something you go to to get something else. So Artemis. She was the goddess of prosperity and money. So if you wanted more money, you went and made sacrifices to her. 
So you went to her for if you wanted money. Athena was the goddess of wisdom. If you wanted to be smart, you went to her. Hermes, he was the god of commerce and travel. So if you wanted safe travels or, or good business decisions, you made sacrifices to him. You went to him. Aphrodite, she was the goddess of fertility. So if you wanted to find a mate or to find love, you went to her. You made sacrifices to her. Nike, she was the goddess of victory, the goddess of warriors. So she was worshipped by athletes and warriors and LeBron James and millions and millions of boys and girls that wanted to run faster, jump higher than everybody else. So if you wanted victory or you needed to win or you wanted to jump higher or you needed to run faster, you went and made sacrifices to Nike. You went to her. And my personal favorite after all this studying that I did, and there's a lot more than that, by the way, but a goddess named Colossina. She was the goddess of the sewer system. Now, if you made an offering to her, I don't know what it, I don't even want to think about what your offering would be. But you can, you can use your imagination on what kind of offering you would give Closina, the goddess of the sewer system. Well, well, sometimes we might go to the bathroom and strike a match or, or light a candle, so I guess that, that counts, right? That would be your offering. But all kidding aside, all these goddesses and goddesses, all these idols were a means to something else. See, they were trying to fill that void. Well, if I need this, I'm going to go here. If I need that, I'm going to go here. And Paul's telling them, no, there's one God, the God. He's the sustainer. He is the provider. I'm telling you who he is. I'm giving you a clear picture of who he is. So this unknown God that you're worshiping is the known God. He is God. See, all these gods or goddesses, they were a means of something else. So if you needed money, power, love, smoother bowel movements, you went to those gods. That's what was important to you. But Paul's telling him that God is the provider. He's self-sustaining. He doesn't need us to give him anything. See, he doesn't need us. He wants us. He wants us. Amen. See, Paul's telling that God, yes, God is this, he's bigger than what we can comprehend, yet he's right here with us at the same time. See, God is knowable. He is close. He wants a relationship with us. He's not a God that you need to go and put a plate of food out for him every night like Santa Claus. And that's what they would do. He doesn't need anything. He is the provider of everything. He is the creator. Why would he need anything? He wants us. He wants that relationship. Verse 29. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. See, he's not something made by man. You can't hold him in your hand. See, this is Paul's conclusion to their religious approach that will just fit God's in anywhere that we need to. If we need a God that we don't know what we need yet, here's an unknown God. 
See, if God, Paul's telling them, if God is a creator, it's foolish to think that you could fit him in the palm of your hand or you can contain him in a building or in a shrine or in a temple or in a statue. It just, it just doesn't work that way. God is greater than all those things. And see, this is what he was always leading up to, right? Verses 30 and 31. This is what he was leading up to, and that's the gospel. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day of judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. He proved it. And this is what Paul was leading to. It was always leading to the Savior. It was always leading to Jesus. Because God is the provider. He shows them the cross. And I think this is where we can start to, to shift from what Paul was telling the Athenians and explaining about who God is. And this is how we can see the parallel to what we should do when we talk to others about Christ. So when we follow Paul's steps, when we share the gospel with others, we should follow this pattern. The first thing is we need to be provoked by the idolatry. We need to be provoked by idolatry. Now, this doesn't mean that we should go around and just bless everybody out because they're not doing it right or getting so angry. See, Paul wasn't just angry, right? He was troubled by it. He was provoked. He had a burden deep in his heart for the people that were turning to idolatry instead of turning to the one true God. He was troubled by it. He was compassion. He had compassion for those people. And said, so we should be the same way. See, he didn't run from the people in Athens, he ran to them with compassion. It would have been easier for him to turn on. These guys were a lost cause. I'm not even going to attempt it. I'm going to go on. That's the opposite thing that he did. He turned to them. He went toward them. Showed them the gospel. Showed them who God really was. He was compassionate to them. Uh, you know, I wonder, are we bothered by the idolatry in our culture? Are we as compassionate as we need to be? Because just like they were talking about earlier this morning, it's easy for us to hate. It's easy to hate. It almost requires zero effort to hate something, but to be compassionate and to love others even when we don't agree with it. Paul did not agree with all the idols, obviously, right? That's why he wanted to point out the one true God, but he was compassionate. It's a little bit more difficult for us to be passionate. But are we bothered by the idolatry of our culture? Are we bothered by our own idolatry? It's like I was telling the first service, I'm, I'm getting to where I don't... Uh, this becomes more difficult because when you prepare for a sermon, not only do you prepare for a sermon, but you get preached to the entire time. I'm just telling the truth. So are we bothered by our own idolatry? Are you bothered by your own idolatry? See, sometimes idols that we have in our lives can be good things, right? Phones, that's a good thing. Communicate with people. Don't, have, don't know how we lived without them, right? So Google, find everything. But it can become an idol. 
very quickly. Very quickly. Video games, money, clothes, you name it. It can become an idol. If it gets put before God, if you turn to that before God, it becomes an idol. Are you bothered by the idolatry in your own life? What are you turning to in your life that becomes a God? What idol are you turning to? What unknown God are you going to? See, if you're wanting money, are you going to be prepared to sacrifice your family for it? If you want to be loved, are you going to sacrifice losing a relationship? Because see, everything requires a sacrifice to get something else out of it. Are you provoked by your idolatry? The second thing that Paul did and he shows us is we need to find common ground. We need to find common ground. See, Paul related to Athenians. See, Paul did his homework. Paul knew who he was dealing with. See, in verse 28, he quotes an Athenian poet when he says, For in him we live and, exi- and move and exist. And as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. We are his children. Right? That's, that's true, but that wasn't biblical. That was a poem from ancient Athens. See, he done his homework. He related to them. He found common ground. He quoted their own poets. See, in order for us to really communicate the gospel to people, we really need to find out who they really are. We need to get to know people. Find out what they need, what they're searching for. Why are they turning to that thing instead of turning to God? We need to get to know them. See, it's like a a missionary. Say a missionary just doesn't buy a plane ticket and go to a country and start building churches or, or to witnessing people. They do their homework, right? Because how can they be an effective communicator of the gospel if they don't know anything about the people? It just doesn't work that way. Paul knew the audience that he was speaking to. He related to them. He found common ground. He was compassionate. See, Paul didn't bash them or insult them. It probably would have been easy for him to because he was provoked. But even though he didn't agree with them, he still showed the compassion. He found a little common ground there. He found something that they had in common. See, people should see God's love through us. When we're not communicating very well, they should still see God through us. So find common ground. You know, I, as a teacher, I have a, I have a hard time of communicating this stuff to my students because, you know, my hands are tied with how much I can share with them, right? But So it really bothers me, but whatever situation you're in, whether it's work or if it's school, if you're a student, get to know the people around you. Get to know your culture. Like I said, it's easy for us to hate. It's easier for us not to agree with what's going on, and that's okay. But just don't say you're a hopeless cause. I'm going here. Paul found common ground. Get to know your audience. The third thing, expose false idols. Expose those false idols 
as answers. Because really when someone uses or goes to something else, they're trying to find out answers, right? They're trying to find the easy way out. They're trying to find that easy way to fix the problem. See, sometimes before we can show that Jesus is the answer, we need to show them that the current answers that they're getting or the idols that they're worshiping are just not working. They're not working. It may be working now. You may be happy now. You may feel better now. But it doesn't fix your eternity. It's not going to hold up forever. You may be good now, but it's not going to last for eternity. So if you're turning to alcohol or drugs and you sacrifice your family and integrity to get it, is it worth it? Because like I said, all these different idols, gods and goddesses, they require a sacrifice in order for you to receive something. If money is what you're looking for, if money is your answer to your problems, and you sacrifice your family to get it, is it worth it? If you sacrifice your time to get it, is it worth it? See, all false idols and gods require sacrifice. How's that unknown God working out for you? How's that idol working out for you? So we need to point out to people, look, you may feel better now, and it may work now, but it's not going to hold up forever. It's not going to hold up for eternity. The fourth thing, and I think this is where God was, Paul was going to the entire time. He was leading up to this moment, proclaiming the greatness of God. So they had little gods and goddesses and idols scattered out everywhere, right? Little wooden gods, little stone gods, gold and silver. God's bigger than that. God's greater than that. So when he was up on Mars Hill on the Areopagus, he was telling them that the one true God is bigger than than all this. He is greater than all this. He is the creator of everything. He is self-sustaining. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need our worship. He wants it. He doesn't need us. He wants us. Which is better, to be needed or to be wanted? Think about that. Which is better, to be needed or to be wanted? Because I think there's a lot of us in here that they feel like they're needed but not necessarily wanted. Or you may feel wanted but not needed. See, God, Paul's telling them that God, yes, he's great. He's bigger than, than all this stuff. But he's knowable. He wants to have a relationship with you. He is close. See, the Athenian gods and goddesses, they were far off. They're in the distance. They were on Mount Olympus, right? They, they could not go to the gods. Paul's telling them that this God, the one true God, is right here. He is among us. He wants a relationship with you. So we have to communicate with people that the one true God is greater than all those things. He is greater than all those different idols that they may be turning to that are only going to last for a season. And it's not going to last forever. God is knowable. God is close. He wants us to have a relationship with him. See, if we got the funny glasses on and they're seeing God and they're not focusing on him, if, if God's too big for them, they think that they, they can't go to him. Or if God's an angry God to them, they're not going to have that relationship. They're not going to go to him because God 
wants us to call him dad. He wants us to have that relationship. We are his children. Yeah, but the third view of God is some guy up in the sky that is trying to get out to get him, right? They're not going to see God for who he is. See, God is greater than all these things, but yet he's close. He's right here in our presence. God is noble. He wants us to call him dad. See, God's greater than what we can comprehend, but he is patient. He's revealing. He's also judge. And that's what Paul was saying. You will be judged one day. That's why he was pointing to the cross. That's why he's trying to get out the message of the gospel. Look, these gods and goddesses aren't going to get you anywhere. You're going to be judged one day. But God may be the judge, but he's forgiving. He's compassionate. And he's telling him he's Jesus. He proved it on the cross. See, it's a new thing to the Athenians. They had no idea who Jesus was. But Paul's saying, I'm going to show you who this unknown God is. And then the last thing that Paul does, and the last thing that we should always do when we're talking to people, is whatever we do, we point to the cross. Every time that we talk to somebody, every time that we try to witness to someone, an unbeliever, we should always make sure that we're pointing to the cross. This is where Paul always gets to in his sermons. It's where he's always headed when he's speaking. So the gospel is where the greatness of God is always and utmost on display. Jesus, God in the flesh, this big great God come to earth in the flesh and sacrificed himself for us. That's what Paul's telling him. That's what we should tell people. If you're sitting here today and you don't understand God, if you're sitting here and you have these glasses on, you really don't understand who God is. You really don't understand his love for you. If you're looking through the glasses, if you're not focusing on God, who he really is, this is who God really is. He is our sacrifice. He is our savior. He died for us. See, religion and philosophy, they ask what kind of sacrifice do I have to give to get this? What sacrifice do I have to give to get God's acceptance? That's what religion and philosophy say, right? But the gospel says, look at the sacrifice God has made for us. Look at the sacrifice that God made for us. That's what the gospel says. We shouldn't Worry about religion or philosophy because we're having to, to give something to gain God's acceptance. And that's just not the case. God is great. He's big, but he's right here with us. He's close. He's in our presence. He sacrificed for us. See, Paul had a burden for these people of Athens to reveal God to the people. That was his whole purpose. So, he, you know, he dropped the mic and he walked away. He left it at that. He trusted God to stir the hearts of the people while he was there. See, Paul didn't argue with them. He didn't manipulate them. He didn't belittle them. He simply gave them the truth. He gave them the gospel, and he walked away. He let God work in their hearts. He trusted God to do the rest. See, sometimes when we talk to people, 
We, we may not get the response that we want to at the time. If we point to the cross, if we're compassionate, we reveal God's greatness to them. And we just get them to think. That's all we can do. That might be your only confirmation that you got through those people. But it was good enough for Paul. So after Paul left, after he walked away, let's see what happened. And this time I want the worship team to come up. After Paul dropped the mic to his sermon, he got some reactions. And I think if we're doing the job of proclaiming the gospel to people, if we're doing our job about communicating God's greatness to others, if we're communicating God's love for people, we're going to get these same three reactions that Paul got. Verses 32 through 34. I might have to really get these glasses out. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. Some laughed. Some mocked. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. We, we want to know more. I'm kind of intrigued, kind of interesting. That ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. You get that? Some joined him and became believers. And see, I like how that didn't say that they became believers and then they joined him. Because sometimes it may just be an act of God to get somebody in the church with us, right? But see, let God do the work. See, some believed. Some believed. So you're going to get those three actions. Some mocked him, right? He was mocked. Well, that's foolish, right? You're going to get that. You're going to get rejected. Rejection is a part of life. Rejection is a part of life. There are people that are going to ridicule you. There are people that are going to mock you. Get over it. Quit having pity on yourself because Jesus said that they first hated me, Right? Of course, we're going to get shot down sometimes. We're going to get mocked sometimes. We're going to get ridiculed sometimes. It's okay. It's part of life. If we're doing it right, we should be mocked sometimes. So we should expect it. Some people were open. They were intrigued. And see, sometimes, like Paul did here, he made sure that some people were intrigued, and that was enough. He walked away, and he let God stir in their hearts. He gave them enough to think about. And sometimes that's all we need to do for people is give them something to think about. And like, hey, you know, I want to know more about this God. I know the way I'm living, the things that I'm worshiping, the things I'm turning to are probably not the best things, are probably not the best answers. I want to know more. Those are, you know, that's, that's the only one. The goal is to get those people in here, to have that effect on people. And then... The third reaction is they believed. That's what our goal is. That's what we're put on earth here to do. That was Paul's missionary journey. That was his whole purpose, was to proclaim the gospel and to have more followers. We should do the same. See, they all heard the same message. They all heard Paul's words. Yet he stood back 
and let God do the work. So we should be getting these same three reactions when we share the gospel. We're going to get mocked. We're going to get made fun of. But you can handle it. Some are going to be open-minded. And then some will believe. And I ask you today before we close, how's your view of God? How are you helping others see who God truly is? What idols are you turning to instead of turning to God? Is God something that's so small that you can hold it in your hand? Or is God so far away that you can't communicate with him? I want to tell you, he is here. He is right here with us. Take off the funny glasses. Focus on who he really is. See, God is great. He's the creator, but he's also right here with us. He is our savior. He sacrificed himself on the cross for us. We don't have to make any sacrifices. I pray today that if that's you, I hope that your eyes were open and you have a clear picture of who God actually is. And for the rest of us, I hope that we take these five points that Paul gave us and you take them out into the world. And we don't hate. We don't have to like the world. We don't have to like the idol worship. We don't have to accept it. But we need to get to know our culture. We need to get to know the people around us. We need to figure out what they're searching for and be compassionate for them and lead them to the cross. Let's pray. Amen, Father Lord, I just thank you for this message that you sent to us today. Lord, this message that you sent the Athenians 2,000 years ago, the people that we don't know, the people that we don't understand, but it's a message for us. Lord, I thank you for being a big God. I thank you for being the creator. I thank you for being bigger than what we can comprehend. But I also thank you most of all for sacrificing yourself on our benefit for us. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today that does not know you as their Savior, I pray that today is the day they take off the blurry glasses and see you for who you really are that they put away their false idols and worship you. Instead of worshiping the unknown God, Lord, today I hope they know you. In your name I pray, amen.